listening to a podcast from Light FM. It's our Ask Anything week and today it's Ask a Personal Finance Author Anything with our guest Suraya Zainuddin, founder of Ringgit or Ringgit.com. Let's not waste any time, Suraya. Here's the first question. Amir asks, why did you decide to write and talk about finance personally? Yeah. Thank you for the question, Amir. Right. Simply put, I love money. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't? Yeah. Money, who doesn't, right? But you got to own it. And sometimes people get so scared of like, uh, I'm scared of money. Uh, I'm afraid of money. No, just own it. Like you like money, you want more of it so that you can have a better life. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Yeah. But specifically, I love the personal finance part. So not just finance, but personal finance. I love the personal part of personal finance, the personal part of money management. Because right. it's so fascinating. You can personalize it to your heart's content. Like for everyone, the goal is to achieve financial freedom, right? right financial right. whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But there's just so many ways to get there. And some people, they are ultra frugal, yep. right? People, they're like hustle, hustle, hustle. Uh-huh. Yeah, sleep with that kind of thing. So for a while, I was just reading personal finance blogs. I was reading Tumblr's back when it was a thing. But I noticed that all of those accounts, most of the accounts were just from Westerners. And I wanted to hear how Malaysians deal with their personal finance. Yes, especially with the tools that we have in Malaysia, right? Exactly. There's no way I can apply Roth IRA yes. yeah, here in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. So in 2010s, there were not so many Malaysians sharing about personal finance. So I thought to myself, lah. I'll write lah. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people appreciate what you've shared because that's why you've got such a huge following as well. Was there something or someone in your life who was affected personally by financial issues that brought you into this area as well? I think that for a specific person, no. But just in general, my family is the type that you want to do something, you learn about it, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. So I, for a while, I was just like, okay, how does the world work? And you know, when you're young, you're so idealistic. Like there's so many injustices in the world and there, there are a lot of injustices in the world. And one of those is affected, is something to do with how the financial system works. So when you're young, you don't know how the financial system works. So you thought to yourself, like, why are this all so unfair, right? But as you learn about how things work, you become more and more aware of, ah, there's a reason why it became like this. And actually, the system, as much as there are to improve, actually, it's not that bad. It does make things a lot better for many people. For example, banks. People like to hit on banks, but it's a very simple and free way to keep your money safe. There's a lot of problem with people having their money um, stolen from them, right? right? So it's a very simple example right there. Next question. This is from Susan who asks, don't you get tired of looking at numbers every day when it comes to personal finance? How do you deal with burnout? Okay, Susan, thank you for your question. Uh, the simple answer there, as annoying as it sounds, I don't get tired of looking at the numbers. If anything, you are your own biggest you know, fan. <laughs> so if anything, I like looking at my own numbers and I find it fascinating how I can tweak the numbers so that it works better for me. So for example, simple example, in terms of savings, if I just tweak the amount of, for example, for groceries, then I can reduce it and save more. So that makes things a little bit exciting for me so I don't technically get burnout. I get it because like what happens is you 
every day when you tweak the numbers or whatever you do um, that can affect your personal finance to see the changes it makes big and small is very exciting to you. Yeah, it's like experimenting. I love it. So when it comes to actually looking at the numbers and keeping up to date with the tools that we have, how do you do that? Like, what do you look at? Okay, first of all, you have to look at your savings rate, right? They like to use all these like big, like fancy terms like cash flow and mm. Not, but just look at your savings rate. Uh, whatever amount that you earn, what is your savings rate? Sometimes it doesn't even matter how much you earn, right? But if your savings rate is low or even negative, then that's something that you really have to look into. If your savings rate is um, 10, 20%, that's great. Work on increasing it. But if it's something in the negative, then you probably have to look at where you can cut or earn more. Is savings that percent rate, of net income? Is, yes, of okay. your net income. After your salary minus your EPF, minus your whatever deductions that you have, that salary, how many percent can you save from it? That's right. your saving. This next question, Soraya, is from Chen, who asks, do I really need to invest money? Can't I just live like without investing? Oh, <laughs> okay. This sounds like someone who maybe is just beginning their journey. Yes, correct. Thank you, Chen, for that question. Technically, Technically speaking, like you can live without investing your money. Not cannot. It's like no one's pointing a gun at your head and say you must invest at the right. Right. But um, if you don't invest, the value of money will go down because there's this annoying thing you might have heard of it. It's called inflation. Right. Um. So annoying. <laughs> um, <laughs> This is why when you know, like when you're in primary school, you can get your your you one ringgit maybe can get you two, three, four, five. But nowadays it's one ringgit. I even saw two ringgit, three ringgit kue sometimes. Yeah. So that's the annoying thing. Um, if you don't invest your money, the value of your money will go down. And our, if I'm not mistaken, in Malaysia right now, our inflation rate is something around like three percent ish, which is still okay, which is still manageable, but it still happens. But the thing is, like. I need everyone to just, in your head, you have this mindset that investing is hard. It's really not that hard. Mm. Sometimes people overcomplicate investing and this is, you know, some some gurus who come by like, you must do stocks, you must do property, you must invest in gold, yeah. right? But it's really not that, you know, you, you don't have to. <laughs> if only you just set aside your money inside, you know, like safe um, investment vehicles and there are some might not have to go into them here. But, you know, just set your money there every single month and just live your life. You don't even have to like be actively investing all the time. I think, Soraya, you said something that really is important to uh, like an investor like Chen, who is not an investor yet. But you said yeah. safe investment vehicles because sometimes when people approach investing, all they hear are risky um, investments. Yes. Whether yeah. big or small, there's always a risk. But keep in yes. mind that there are absolutely safe places you can put money as well guaranteeing you returns that may be smaller than the riskier ones but there's options like that as well right yes correct um but you know they're safe but what i really mean is low risk lah. there's low nothing risk, yeah. truly like you know safe safe like the only safer surest way is to not do anything with it just put in your bank account but again, saving how about the savings account with the with backed your backed up to what is it 200,000 our savings accounts it's backed up to 200,000 right that guaranteed by PIDM yeah, PIDM, some, yeah. something around that I have to look up at the exact numbers but no some low risk investments that you might want to consider if you don't want to go like into like Saham <laughs> like 
property and all that. You can go into things like EPF. Um, if you're booming ESB, if not, you know, Amana Saham uh, Malaysia, mm. uh, fixed deposit, cash management account. Those are all low risk options. Right. And if you just want to be like really simple about it, you can look at cash management account or fixed deposit. There are many, many options nowadays. And those can give you between two to depending on how much you put in between two to three, sometimes even four percent nowadays. Right. And it can give you some return your money at least at pace with inflation. Right, right. It's the light breakfast with Terry and you. Good morning. It is Ask Anything Week. Today, it's Ask a Personal Finance Author Anything with Suraya Zainuddin, founder of Ringgit or Ringgit.com. Suraya, ready for the next question? Let's go. Okay, it's from Nuru, who's asking a very straightforward question. She says, I am 23 years old. Should I invest in ASB or EPF better? Which one? Okay, thank you for the question, Nuru. In personal finance, I always get this kind of question like A or B, C or B. <laughs> the answer is actually a combination or more oh. often than not, the answer is actually both. Okay. In this particular case, you're asking me, Nuru, ASB or EPF, the answer is actually both because they serve different purposes. ESB, which is actually only for Bumi, I have to put it out there. Mm-hmm. ESB is great for general savings. Put your money in there, relatively safe, will give you about 5-6% depending on the year. Sometimes right. higher, sometimes lower. Right. right, and you can use it for any general money emergency or just for like everyday life uh, purposes. EPF is money earmarked for your retirement, mm-hmm. right? So money for your retirement, put your money in there. If you are a salaried employee, the money is automatically taken out of your um salary. So it's not that you have a choice whether <laughs> whether you do it. A or B, you, you're doing EPF anyway. But EPF is great because your employer match your, not match, uh, your employer gives you a percentage of your salary in EPF as well. Right. So by getting EPF, you're not just say, you're not just taking out 11% of your money from your salary. Your employer is also contributing 12 or 13%, depending on how much you earn, inside right. your EPF account as well. So that's awesome. Both are awesome. Do both if you can. Now, would you suggest the same thing, Soraya, if we swapped out ASB and said ASN instead, Amasam National instead, would this still apply the same? Uh, it can somewhat apply the same, yes. Assuming that you can get ASM, the units uh, sometimes do run out. Mm-hmm. If you can get ASM, you can get it, yes. All right. And let's say the person is not an employee. Let's say the person is running their own business. Should they make the effort to contribute towards EPF? Yes, you should absolutely make the effort to contribute in EPF, even if you're not a salary employer, if you're working for yourself, if you have your own business like myself, just contribute money inside your EPF because it's handy. You can get tax relief on your money. Oh. And uh, I believe it's three or 4,000. I might get the numbers. It's around there. The numbers are there. Um, and if you look at the overall picture, depending on how much you earn in a year, the three or 4,000 that you put in EPF is equivalent to a few hundred ringgit saving for your, the amount of income tax that you have to pay. So you put money in EPF, that's for your retirement, but you're also getting some money back in terms of, um, some savings in terms of your income tax. Right, it's like savings on savings. Wow, great advice there. This next question from Jeevan asking, I always get nervous about planning big purchases like car, house, loans. How do you deal with this? Thank you for the question, Jeevan. That's a great question. My first answer to you is that nervous is good. You should be nervous. Some people don't get nervous. They're just, okay, where do I sign? Which is, you know, <laughs> can be better. But how I deal with it, when I am nervous about planning a big purchase, the first thing that I do is, okay, I take out a piece of paper 
and then I put down my salary or my income for the month and then I put down okay what are the commitments that I have to pay for the next month or what are my commitments financial commitments and then I also put in how much money do I want to save and then from my income I deduct 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 all those commitments and also my financial my savings whatever is the leftover amount is that enough or not for me to pay for the big purchase right and when i say that is this is this amount left over is it enough or not to pay for the big purchase it's not just the cost of the monthly installment right don't you don't believe the agent when they say that oh salary two thousand ringgit can buy house and buy honda don't believe them <laughs> because more often than not there are some good agents out there but more often than not those agents they don't factor in they only put in the mortgage cost just the car installment cost mm. they don't put the additional things they don't mm. put like car right they don't put in the road tax amount mm. they don't put in the insurance amount they don't put in the cost of parking the cost of toll mm. they don't put in the cost of maintenance stuff like that so you put in all of these numbers if you have your amount there and then you see like okay i can comfortably pay them then more likely than not you are okay with the big purchase mm. but when i always tell people if you're nervous about planning a big purchase right down your numbers and then only you can get the the bigger picture of whether or not you can afford something or not All right based on what what you're saying right i definitely can't use an a4 paper i need like the mahjong size paper you know next question ready ready yes go for it all right this one is from an anonymous person who's asking why should i take financial advice from people like You who are bloggers, people on social media, etc., which is a question that many people should be asking as well, right? Yes, absolutely. I love, love, love this question because anonymous, you don't. As a rule of thumb, any financial advice that you see from online people, from bloggers, even from people like myself. You always err on the side of caution and don't believe them first. All right? right. Only when you find evidence that what they say holds value or actually informational or educational, then you might want to consider it. But you really don't have to take advice from people on social media because people, when they give out this short advice, there's no way a tweet with 280 <laughs> characters can put in all the possible personalization for your life. There's no way. There's mm-hmm. simply no way, right? But you might want to know, anonymous. There's actually a chart on PIDM website, and it says that the most influence that a person would get. At least on their savings behavior, actually not people from, from online. It's actually your family. Right. Right. Families are the predominant influence on a person's saving behavior, and by a huge margin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. By like fifty, sixty percent, the influence. Mm-hmm. But the second one is also non-online people. The second one is actually professionals. So these are people like financial planners or by banks. You will give more weight to people like these people who are actually in the industry. Mm-hmm. The third people are actually your friends and also your peers. So the the fourth or the people online or like bloggers like myself. Or like just people on social media dishing financial advice in general, are just somewhere like fourth, fifth, sixth influence on a person's life. But if you are the type of person who puts, you know, advice from online personalities uh, at number one or number two, um, you might also want to be very, very careful with your savings or your money management in general, mm. because e-commerce love to target people like mm. you. So I have to put it in, um, and there are many ways that they do in order to get your money out of you. For example, if you are a user of Twitter, it's still Twitter by the way. If you are a user <laughs> of Twitter, if you put in certain words, right, related to finance. Or or money in general, you will see so many bots 
or even in Facebook, if you see like use certain words, there are some bots there that would automatically reply to you. For example, oh, you lost your money. Please contact this person in order to get your money back. Or this person helped me to get my money back. Oh, please contact customer support uh, or you get your money back. But they're all actually scammers. Right. So you really do have to double, triple, quadruple check whatever online people are saying. And I don't blame anyone for adapting on the online world for financial advice. Especially when it comes to that moment when you have to transfer money for some sort of online purpose. That's when you should be asking a million questions. Would you say when that moment comes when they ask you to make some sort of payment? Absolutely. You're right. You're right, Terry. And while we're on this, actually, you mentioned financial um, advisors as well or financial planners. And in a previous conversation we had, you gave some very, very good um, information saying that there's actually a body that acknowledges financial planners in Malaysia. What, what is yeah, the name correct. of that body again? The name of the professional body that uh, oversees financial planners in Malaysia is called FPAM. That's the Financial Planners Association of Malaysia. You can get, you can go to fpam.org.my and inside that you will find a lot of resources in terms of financial literacy and how to contact uh, financial planners that, that caters to Malaysians. Financial Planners Association of Malaysia. Remember that. This next question, Suraya, is from May, who says, who's asking something maybe a little bit personal. What's your finance horror story is what she's asking. Yes, thank you, May, for that question. My own finance horror story is that I lost the seed phrase for a crypto account that I <gasps> <laughs> and this happened years back. Since then, I have made peace with it. Right. But this, you know, like in the crypto world, sometimes you'll find people who say things like "not your keys, not your money," mm-hmm. right? And they mean well. They mean that uh, if you don't keep your own cryptocurrencies yourself, then it's technically, and you keep it in crypto exchanges, which are the equivalent of something like banks inside the crypto world, then you don't actually own it, which is sort of understandable where they come from. But the downside to that is that you also hold responsibility for the security of your crypto And when it comes to security, sometimes scammers can steal them. But in my own personal case, Mm. I simply forgot. (laughs) No! (laughs) Yeah, I simply forgot my own um, seed phrase. Um, And that's the only way that a person can access their own cryptocurrency account. So there's no customer support when you keep cryptocurrencies yourself. I have no one to send an email to. I have no one to call. And the money, the amount will be lost forever. So again, I'm pleased with it. But there are values in having regulated, licensed cryptocurrency exchanges in Malaysia. That's all I'm going to say. Right. I'm going to ask the obvious question now, which is which coin and what's the value today? Can I ask that? <laughs> sure. Okay. I have switched the, the, <laughs> the, the name of the cryptocurrency in my head. Okay. But I remember that at the time that I lost it, mm-hmm. it was at least around like... 5,000 US dollars and oh. I don't I don't want to know how much is the value today so I, I don't want to wow. don't make me sad sorry. but that's all a part of it like you said like you said when it comes to investment sometimes you gotta let go of the losses and keep moving ahead right right <laughs> It's the Light Breakfast with Terry and you. It's Ask Anything Week. And today, we are asking a personal finance author anything based on your questions. We've got our guest, Suraya Zainuddin, founder of ringitoringit.com. Suraya, last question already. You ready? Let's go. Okay. It's from Nadia, who's asking, 
Tell me how you would use or spend 100,000 ringgit today. I think this is a really good question because like in some cases when you lose a family member, you get like a like a bit of money un- like surprisingly from somewhere or maybe you know you take part in a game show and you take some money away. What do you do with that sudden windfall, right? Okay, there's two ways I would answer this question. Um number one is that assuming that I cannot invest it, <laughs> my first instinct is to like okay, keep it hot it hot it hot it put inside my investment. So if I I were to uh, invest it then that's you know that's just five minute put transfer inside investment account then right? but which investment or like which investment will you put it in just... I'll just put in ESB okay Oh. <laughs> okay. um, put inside ESB like max out all of my tax relief for the year max out my um, EPF max out my PRS max out my SSPN that's the education um, uh, fund for my child mm. get all the Things that can reduce my my income tax, things like health checkup. You know, you can look at the, all the lists inside LHDN website. But if I were to spend it on anything else beyond that, because so that, that's the practical one. So where's the fun in that, right? <laughs> if I were to spend hundred thousand ringgit today mm. and on anything that I want, I would just go on social media. I will look at people who are talking about how they are short on money or just need money to to pay their their rent or whatever, and I will just bless people. Wow, that's so, <laughs> so beautiful. Uh, and this is assuming that I can't save it for my own hoarding. <laughs> I can't hoard it myself, lah. So I like your the, your thought on this is so beautiful is that if you can't use it for a purpose that would help your your own family then you'd help someone else instead. Yeah, just bless people. Like they always say in online sometimes I want to be the type of person that God would use to bless others with their bank account. Wow, well, yeah, yeah. Something like that. That is so that is so this is the reason why I love talking to you Soraya because you know you give very practical ways that we can use money and how we can save it. Okay, Soraya, before we let you go, um, what's coming up for you? What's new for you? What should people do to find out more about you? Yes, everyone, you can check out my website, ringgitaringgit.com. I have a lot of resources for you there, including free templates, 50, 30, 20 budget template, your network template, all of them are free. Just go there. You can also pick up my book, Bergaji and Pokai. It's in stores <laughs> nationwide. You can also pick up my book, Money Stories from Malaysians. That's on Shopee. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Soraya. It was a great pleasure having you. Have a fantastic day. Thanks, everyone. You too. You've been listening to a Light FM podcast on Shock. That's S-Y-O-K.